Let's not waste time. Grab a Bible. Go to Joshua chapter 2. All right? We're going to dive in today. Joshua chapter 2. If you're new at Three Lakes or visiting, uh, welcome, by the way. We're, we love that you're here. Uh, we are doing a new series this summer. And uh, I, I know we're almost all the way through June, but I haven't been here, you know, as you might have guessed. Uh, but um, the, the idea is that we are all in a spiritual battle and we need to fight. And I believe one of the reasons the book of Joshua was written was not just to give us a recording of the conquest of Canaan, but to give us as Christians today encouragement to know that we also are in a spiritual battle. Uh, we see that throughout the New Testament. And Joshua is here to encourage us and encourage our souls to fight. So uh, a battle has not happened yet in the book of Joshua. They're still in this preparation stage. And so even now I want to preach with that in mind that, that before we fight our battles, there are certain things that we've got to have right before we go there. So now we're in Joshua 2. Um, if, if you're grabbing a pew Bible, by the way, that is page 152. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. <clears throat> it says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. Go over to the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in hot pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land to you and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did at Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her, if we don't tell what we are doing, if you don't tell what we were doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. We'll pause there for a moment. Um, what's the meaning of the story of Rahab? Um, it was pretty easy to narrow down what are we preaching about today because the New Testament loves the story of Rahab. The writers love talking about her and they always say the same thing about her. Faith. They always talk about her faith. Like, like Listen to Hebrews 11. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Okay, so she's an example of faith. James 2.24 says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? 
as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So James' point is, Rahab had such vibrant faith that she hid the spies and that demonstrated her faith by actions. So when we talk about Rahab, we're talking about someone who is an example to us of faith. Now, when you think about faith and warfare and the fact that we're in a spiritual battle every day and, and that Satan has plans for your life, just like God has plans for your life, uh, when you think about that, we think of like the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6.16 says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So, so what Paul's trying to get at is, faith is like a shield for us. It's something that defends us from the attacks that are coming. Uh, my kids for Christmas, they got um, the, the, new, the new Xbox, you know, Xbox 360, you know, and, and it had like the, the sensor where you can stand in front of the TV and, and you, you can like box, right? So they're going up against me. And, and of course now, it, it's not about real strength, it's more about, you know, you're, you're boxing in front of the TV and the sensor's picking you up and your guy in the TV's doing what you do, right? So we're boxing. And I'm taking my kids out, Right? Right? It's true. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm creaming them. And, and they're like, what's going on? You know, why are you always winning? And, and they're getting frustrated because they can beat me at every other game, but they can't beat me at boxing. Okay? I got one. So I thought, as a father, do I keep that secret to myself, like why I'm beating them? Or do I tell them what I'm doing? Because it's really simple. All I was doing was, whenever they got on a roll, I was doing this. Right? You know, I'm blocking. That's all I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just blocking. You know, when they start throwing punches and they're knocking me back, I block. It's just defense. You know, it's just defense. So I told them that and now they're winning and, and now I have no hope. So whatever, whatever. I can't compete with my kids. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, and so it is with faith in that what God wants to tell us is life can be so hard. And if you don't have a strong faith, you're going in there with no defense. Like, like Satan is shooting flaming arrows. I mean, I mean, think about that. What, what arrows were aimed at you last week? I mean, it's, it's saying you have a target on you. You have a target on you. Satan is shooting arrows at you from day to day, from week to week. I don't know what those arrows look like. I mean, it could just be the way marriage is going right now. And you're just going, man, things are not good. It just seems like every day is a battle. Arrows are shooting at you, you know? It seems like I go to work and, and it's just such a dark and tempting place to be around those people. Well, that's arrows coming at you. You might say, my kids are just testing me every day and I, I just need so much wisdom. I don't know how to handle what they're throwing at. I mean, there are arrows coming at you. You might say, it's just the, t- it's just the daily temptation. Every day I feel it and, and I just, it just wears me down. Arrows. And so... We're told we have a target. We're told that Satan is shooting flaming arrows at us. So if you, if, you, if you go into your life with a weak faith, that is, just, just the minimum please for me. I'll take my fire insurance. I want to go to heaven when I die. But the rest of this Jesus stuff, I, I don't want to go all in. All right? I, I want to be one of those extreme people. It reminds me of a young guy who got radically converted while he was in prison. You know, he was like, I mean, before he went to prison, he was like an alcoholic, uh, drug dealer. Then he, then he went to prison and found Jesus. You know, and then he got radically changed, you know, and he goes back home and his mom says, you know, I'm so glad that you're not an alcoholic anymore and you're not dealing drugs, but you've gone a little too far, though, with this Christian thing, you know? 
It's like, but that's the only way he got out of it, you know? I mean, that's it. That's it. It was either all in or, or back to darkness. I mean, those are your choices. So, I say that to say, some of us walk into life and, and do life with a weak faith. Just sign me up for the Sunday morning service. Get me out of here as quick as you can. I'm going back to regular living. And it's like that regular living is probably marked by spiritual failure. It's probably marked by emotional difficulty. It's probably marked by sin. And you say, well, I'm glad Jesus forgives me, and I am too. (laughs) But wouldn't you rather see victory over that sin? We're going in without a shield, without a defense. Now, for Rahab, if you think about her story... She was defended from what? Well, she was defended from the destruction of Jericho. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor. Um, (laughs) You're comparing flaming arrows of Satan to God's wrath on the Canaanites. Can you do that? (laughs) Well, well, I'm, I'm not trying to compare them. I'm only saying that faith has a similar function in each case, if you think about it. Because... We're under the wrath of God. God's not okay with our sin. And and when you think about salvation, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith. We're saved through faith. What are we saved from? You know, if, if, if if your son is in the water and he can't swim and I jump in and pull him out of the water, I saved him. And you say, well, from what? I saved him from drowning. I saved him from the water. I, I saved him. I pulled him out. So when we say we're saved, what are we saved from? And if you really boil it down, we're saved from God. We're saved from the justice of God that burns full strength in the fires of hell. That's what we're saved from. Now, don't get me wrong. We're saved and we get His love and His mercy and His holiness and righteousness. We get a lot of God, all right? And we're going to get a lot of God for all eternity, right? I mean, He saved us for a lot of things too. He may save us from His wrath, but He saves us to His love. So it's from this and to this. But I'm saying that faith is a shield. When you accept Christ, Christ's righteousness becomes your breastplate and you are shielded from everything that's wrathful from God. Now, on the other hand, you have Satan who is full of spite and doesn't want you to be saved and would rather take you with him as he goes down in judgment and he's shooting arrows at you. And faith in that sense is a shield for his, his spite, his arrows trying to take you out. But in both cases, you can argue faith is a shield. You should not go into battle without it. Now, um, I was debating whether to tell this story or not, um, but, but I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. Um, some of you read my blog, and, and I wrote about this, but um, we were involved in a really bad accident in Uganda, and, and I'm just, let me just tell you how it went down, okay? Friday morning, uh, late May, I, I get up in the morning and I check my email, and I have, a, I have an email from Pastor Daniel, who lives in Kampala, or Zana actually, right by the capital city of Uganda. And he uh, wrote me and said, Last night I had a dream about you, Pastor, and you were in water and you were struggling to get out of the water and eventually you got out 
and you were tired and you had to rest. He said, I don't know what it means, but I'm praying for you today. The other family that's adopting with us over there, they're from Colorado, and they get an email from uh, the husband's dad, who's a missionary, and he writes to them and says, I believe God's going to do something miraculous for you today. Now, uh, ye of little faith, I didn't connect the dots there. You know, like something big's going to happen. Like I was kind of thinking, well, maybe the judge is coming back into town and we're going to get our adoption thing moving, you know, because there was a delay there. Um, but that didn't happen. And I didn't really connect the dots. I just said, well, that's kind of cool. Let's go on my day. Uh, and so we were going on this trip because our, our court date got delayed and we were going on this uh, safari experience and we had a driver that was taking us there. And for the most part, we traveled through villages and it was all paved roads, just sm- fine and smooth besides the speed bumps. But huh, then we got to this point where we were like about uh, five, ten minutes from the lodge, the safari lodge. And it's a gravel road. He turns down the road and, and there's all these ridges on the road. So as we're traveling, it's literally like you're trying to talk and it's like, yeah, this is bumpy, you know, like, like one of those things. And it's, it's just ridges. And so at first he drives fast and to kind of smooth out the ridges. And then he slows down and says, look how bad it would be if we slowed down, you know. And uh, I'm kind of thinking, I think I like the slow one, you know. But um, then he speeds up again. And, and so now we're going really fast. And we start talking in the car. My, and we're in a van. It's not a car, it's a van. And it's my family and the other family that's adopting and the driver. I'm in the front seat. I have a seatbelt, he has a seatbelt, nobody else has a seatbelt in the van at all anyway. There's no seatbelts to be had. So, uh, and at that time, we, both families had our adopted children with us. Um, and so, uh, he, he's speeding down the road. I mean, I, my estimate is probably 60 miles an hour down a gravel road. I mean, we're just flying. We're flying. And at some point, we start to say, we would never drive this fast in America on a gravel road. This is not good. Oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's straight, it's a straight road, you know. Okay. Well, there was a curve in the road, and he lost control of the van. We spun around, and uh, then, we, then we tipped on our side, and we skidded into the ditch. Now, I'm telling you, I didn't realize this till I got out of the van, but, but left side of the road, ditch. Right side of the road, steep ravine going into a lake. I mean, that's, that's how it was. So, right side of the road, death. Last side of the road, um, we, were, we were okay. And um, the, the, the most difficult moment, I remember, as we skidded into the ditch and we, we tipped and skidded, and, and I'm the one kind of like hanging there with the seatbelt on, I'm hanging in air. Um, and, uh, and I remember the moment where like, I was going to look back, because I'm okay, I'm belted in, I'm fine. And I was looking back to see, you know, how everyone was behind me. And it was such, such a scary, scary moment to not know what I was going to see when I turned around. And I saw Christy laying against the side of the van. The window was not shattered, but she was laying against it, cradling Grayson and crying. And all I could say was to her that whole time was, you know, it's all right. God protected us. It's okay. You know, we're okay. Like the van's not moving anymore. We're okay. And, um, and then I said to the driver, who was like in shock that this happened, I said, you got to get out of the van first and you got to call for an ambulance. Now, of course, that's an insane thing to say because we're in the middle of nowhere, literally, you know. And there's no ambulance. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, it stands. you got to call somebody and get us help. 
So he climbed out the, the back of the van first. And, um, and then the rest of us climbed out. And some of you that have read my blog know that the little, there's an eight-year-old boy in the back seat. His window shattered by him. So when the van skidded, his leg was against that window. And he got a um, pretty nasty leg wound. Not going to describe it. Uh, but I'm just saying he got hurt and he had to be taken to the hospital. He's doing really well today. Um, they cleaned it. Uh, they're packing it with some Ugandan super honey that heals your leg really well. <laughs> and uh, he's walking on it. So he's doing really well. But I remember climbing out the back and, and I just, it was like a moment where I thought, God, I know God is with me everywhere I go. I know, I, I experience him when I preach. You know what I mean? Like, like I know he does things through me. But he, he, he met us and, and, and he, he held the van. You know, he, he kept the van from going to the right. And he kept us safe inside it. I mean, Grayson did not have a scratch on his body. Not a scratch. Neither did the other little adopted boy. Not a scratch. Christy had a couple big bruises and she was hurting a little bit that way. But um, we, we walked out of there and it was like, I just felt like I was on holy ground and I'd met with God, you know? And, and uh, he had... I know he didn't have to give me that dream email that morning to, for me to know that it was him, but he's a great God. <laughs> he, he's a great God. And all I can say is that he shielded us. He shielded us. And I'm not saying it's because of my great faith, but I'm just saying we have a relationship with the living God. Okay? By faith, you believe him. And I know if it was my time to go, he could have taken me that day. He could have. And, and he would have been just as great and just as good if he had said, today's the day, Niall and Christy come home. Okay. And grace him with them. Okay. But, but he's got a plan for us. He's got a battle he still wants me to fight, apparently. And he's going to provide the protection for it. He is. Now, I want to connect this with Rahab. All right, I want to connect this with Rahab. Check this out. What is it about Rahab's faith that is, that is remarkable? Take a look. Uh, number one, first of all. Number one. Um, strong faith is courageous. It's courageous. Um, hard to tell that story, by the way. I feel really confused in my brain now that I'm past that. Um, anyway, uh, the spies enter. These two spies enter Jericho, right? And it says, um, uh, verse 1, Joshua the son of Nun secretly sent two spies, right? Secretly sent them. Well, apparently everybody in the city knows that they're there, right? I mean, that's kind of the joke, you know? Secretly. These guys aren't James Bond, okay? They go in there to spy out Jericho, and, and sure enough, everybody knows they're there. In fact, they know exactly where they're staying. So the king of Jericho, verse 2, says, look, you got some Israelites there, um, and so uh, they sent the message to Rahab, bring out those guys, they've come to spy out the whole land. And, and then uh, the woman had taken the two men, and in verse 4 says she hid them. They came to me, but I don't, know where they came, uh, I don't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went, go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax she laid out on the roof. Now, all I have to say is, that's a courageous faith. To say, I'm going to hide these guys and the king wants to know where they're at. 
I'm betting executions in their future if, they, if he finds them. And I'm the one hiding them. She's putting her life on the line for these guys. And, and it's because of her faith in the true God. Now, I read this and go, she's courageous. She's courageous. She put her life on the line for these guys. And this tells us that, that strong faith steps out and does courageous things that you would normally never do. My wife always told me, I will never fly over the ocean. Really? Hopefully she hears this message. Um, <laughs> apparently you are, right? Apparently you are. Um, you don't like it, but you're going to because you believe God is calling us to adopt, so we're stepping out in faith to do that. Right? We're stepping out. And, and if that leads to a car accident, okay. Now this is the interesting thing because um, what, what I'm saying is, if your faith is strong, then, then you're stepping out to do things that you wouldn't normally do. What's a walk of faith if not a step sometimes into the dark? Are you doing anything that requires a lot of faith of you right now? Are you? That's a question you've got to be asking yourself. Because if your life is so easy and so planned out and nothing's strange, nothing's different about it, you've got to wonder, am I really walking a life of strong faith? Strong faith says to Peter, get out of the boat. Really, I should get out of the boat? All right, Jesus, can I come to you on the water? Right? That's what faith does. It steps out. And you might say, well, he's the idiot and he started sinking. But would you rather be the other guys in the boat looking at him? You know, like they didn't even risk it. They didn't even risk it. Faith involves risk. And I don't mean foolish risk like um, riding around without your bicycle helmet, which I did, by the way, my whole life until now when I know better. But um, anyway... Uh, I'm not talking about that kind of risk. I'm talking about are you stepping out to do things for Christ that you know are just a little bit risky? You know, talking to that family member about your faith in Jesus even though they, you know they're not going to want to hear it. <laughs> talking to your boss about Jesus even though he's not going to want to hear it or she's not going to want to hear it. Right? You step out and do these things. And if you're not, how strong is your faith? if you're just trying to stay comfortable. All I'm saying is, if you want a stronger faith, then you need to start asking God where He wants you to step out of the boat. I don't know what the boat is, but He's asking you to step onto the water. And, and the scary thing is, the scary thing is, when you step out of the boat, you feel vulnerable, right? Like you feel everything but shielded. That's the ironic thing. You know, go to Africa. We're going to go to Uganda and adopt this child because we believe God has called us to do it. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but we had so much confirmation that God was in this. I know God is in this. But to step out and do that puts my life at risk. But it's okay. Because I'm shielded by faith. God is, God is shielding me because I'm His child by faith. So you step out to do something crazy... And, and you feel like you're out there and people are going to take pot shots at you. You know, you share your faith with the wrong person, they're not going to like you. So you feel vulnerable. But actually, you're shielded. It's the people that are sitting down doing nothing that I worry about the weakness of their shield. See, see, see the mental, the mindset change there? Okay, now, someone's going to ask me, what about the lie, right? What about the lie? Someone say it. What about the lie, right? Thank you, thank you, right? Okay. Um, this is one that you need to go home and talk about over lunch, okay? 
but but let me just suggest that Christians throughout history, I, I mean, I took an ethics class, you know, when we talk about these kind of things in the Bible, um, there's probably three answers that you could give. And, and, and they can't all be right, but but you can talk about it over lunch. There's The first argument is, is the realist argument, okay? Now, the realist says, look, people, we live in a fallen world. And sometimes in a fallen world, you have a choice between sinning and sinning. <laughs> Lying or not preserving the lives of two spies that belong to the living God. So should I lie and protect them? Or should I not protect them and and, and then they die and it's on me? It's an impossible choice. We live in a fallen world. The realist says, you choose the one that has the greater moral good. Preserving life. And you do that. That's the realist. And, And by the way, you confess the lie, though, because that's still sin. You know, it's still sin. So, so you do the thing that you know to do, but you confess the lie that, it, that you had to do to do it. Okay? The, the next position is, we'll call it, uh, argument number two is the hierarchical position, or hierarchy. That basically says that different commands have different moral values, and you should just choose the one that has the greater moral good, and God is overlooking the other. You don't have to confess it. You just choose the one that is, is, the, is, the, is the greater commandment, right? Remember when Jesus said that, didn't he? You know, he said there's, there's greater things in the law than tithing, your spices. Remember he said to the Pharisees? You've neglected justice and mercy, and now you're like tithing, you're mint. You know, there's greater things here. So, so oh, what, what if there's a hierarchy in the laws, and I'm choosing the one that preserves life? There's, there's no conflict here. I just chose the better thing. Okay? That's hierarchy. Um, thirdly, we'll call this the um, best case scenario or there's always a way, right? There's always a way. Uh, you ever watch movies, you know? Oh, by the way, <laughs> I saw Man of Steel last weekend and everyone's talking about the ending. Maybe you, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it, it comes up with a moral dilemma. Do I, do I do this or do I do that? Or is there a third option, you know? And I'm not going to tell you what happens. You might see it. But um, anyway, everyone, people are talking about it. And uh, basically, this argument is similar to it, and it says, I can lie, or I can give them over and they can die, or maybe there's a third option that I'm not considering that would honor God so that I don't lie. Maybe I can tell the truth in a way that doesn't give up these guys. Okay? Maybe I can say, come in and search the house. See for yourself. Right? Um... The third option might be the one that is the most attractive to Christians because we don't want to condone lying. However, I think I lean a little more on the first one. I mean, not that I know. I'm not like Jesus here. But maybe I lean a little more on the realist one where I'm saying we're in a fallen world. But you can talk about that over lunch and have your little debate and and see where you go with it. But um, all I'm saying is there's ways Christians throughout history have understood the lie. Okay? Okay, let's move beyond it though um, because that's not the... The, for, the point of the story. Number two, strong faith is certain. It's certain. Uh, we're going to look at verses 8 through 12 on this, okay? It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went to the roof and said to them, I know that Yahweh has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea 
for you when you came out of Egypt and, that, and, what, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We heard of it. Our hearts melted. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by Yahweh that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Yahweh, your God, by the way, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the word Yahweh. It's God's name. That's our best understanding of how to translate it. Um, Yahweh, your God, is God. She was certain. She was certain. She'd heard the story, you know? She'd heard the story. She didn't see the Red Sea part, but she believed that there's Egyptians lying at the bottom of it, okay? She believed it. She believed the people of Israel had the true God and, and that the gods that they worshipped, the Baals, I mean, that she believed that those were not gods and that the true God ruled the heavens and the earth. You see the way she talks about God. He's the God of heaven and earth. He rules over everything. He rules over car accidents. He rules over marriages. He rules over every single thing. He rules over your life and the decisions you make. He rules. And she recognized his sovereignty by that statement, heaven and earth, and said, this is the God I'm going to serve. Will you swear to me by this God that you serve, the God of heavens and earth, that you will spare my life? Strong faith is certain. Strong faith knows that what we believe is true. Okay? It has to be true. That, look, there, there's a huge push, I, I think, in this culture today to say, faith is good because it's faith. All faith is really good, no matter what you believe. But, but faith in what's false is not true faith. Get that faith in the truth. And she has faith in the truth, and that's what saved her. It, it's a faith that's certain. It's a faith that's not doubting. Maybe you're not so certain. Maybe you do have doubts. My encouragement to you is ask God to meet you in the doubts. Ask God to help you with the uncertainty because He wants you to walk through life sure and confident that He is who He says He is. You ask Him to meet you? I mean, I asked Him. How many times did I pray for protection while I'm traveling through Uganda? Every day. How often do I pray for Christy? Multiple times every day while she's over there. I should start doing that when she's here too, right? But, but I pray for safety because I know that God is there and He will grant it according to His will. I'm certain of it. So you start praying prayers like that and seeing God show up, you're going to see some amazing things. You start reading your Bible and, and, and asking God, to reveal himself in here, and guess what? He will. He will. He will. He does. And then you'll have a strong faith that's certain. Thirdly, thirdly, strong faith is connected. Did you hear what I just read about her family? Uh, when she said, Swear to me by Yahweh that you're going to show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you're going to spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Okay? Um, strong faith is connected. Strong faith doesn't say, um, this is my faith, I'm keeping it to myself. Strong faith says, I care about the people around me. 
And again, this culture is fighting that so hard. The culture that we live in says, you keep your faith to yourself. Um, don't bring it up with the people around you. Don't tell your coworkers. They don't want to deal with that. I mean, when I was a youth pastor, I had multiple schools tell their kid, tell the students at the school, you cannot bring your Bible to school, which is not legal, by the way. They have every legal right to bring their Bible to school. One young lady organized a prayer meeting, you know, at lunchtime, and they said, you can't do that, disperse, you know. It's like, our culture is telling us, keep your faith out of the public arena. It has no place here. Our culture is telling us that you need to keep your morality to yourself. Because who are you to tell us how to live? That's a matter of, 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 of private um, um, conviction. But the scriptures tell us that if you have a strong faith, you're going to feel connected to the people around you and you're going to tell them about the destructive choices that they're making. I, I'm kind of bothered that I talk to a lot of young people and over some of the moral issues in America today, they say, let people do what they want. You know, let people marry who want to get married. I don't care if it's not in the Bible. We'll do the right thing and let them do the wrong thing. Just let them do what they want. It's their choice. And the, the first person that comes to my mind when I, whenever I hear that statement is Noah. Noah knows the flood's coming. He's building an ark, ridiculous. And he's preaching to the people around him. They don't want to listen. They're not going to listen. I know most of the people that we... Uh, that's so negative. I know a lot of people that we talk to are not going to listen to anything we have to say. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear morality. But strong faith says, I care about the fact that you're making moral choices that are destroying families. And i got to deal with this. i got to warn you. I have to vote for morality. I have to stand for morality because otherwise, I have a private faith that only cares about me. And you know what a private faith is? It's selfish. It's just selfish. A public faith steps out and says, this is right, this is wrong, and I love you enough to tell you. I'm telling you with tears in my eyes that this path is leading us to destruction. As a country... We go down these roads and our families will suffer because of it. And I care enough to say it. Because my faith is not just about me. It's about loving my neighbors myself. And if I'm going into the ditch, I want you to help me out. <laughs> I want you to help me out. Oh, there's a good example. <laughs> our van's turned over, right? It's in the ditch. A bus pulls up and about 20 Ugandan guys come out of the bus they point at me, come over here. And we push the bus back up. I mean, the van back up. <laughs> you know, that was in the ditch that day. Um, and then they proceeded to tell me how sorry they were that this happened. Um, we, we, we have to, in a moral sense, we have to feel connected to our brothers and sisters and warn them that the choices that our country's making in the moral arena are just killing us. And we're doing it out of love. Um, you want a stronger faith that's connected? Start telling someone about Jesus. That'll strengthen your faith. If I called you up tomorrow and said, I'm going to visit someone on their deathbed and they don't believe and I want you to share with them, would you go? 
I mean, those, those moments even frighten myself. Like, what do I say? What do I say in the last moments of someone's life? You know, those are not easy moments. But would you have the, the um, conviction to step out and do it? That's strong faith. Fourthly, lastly, I'm out of time. Strong faith is clear. It's clear. Now look at the end of the story here. She let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down to the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua the son of Nun, told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Yahweh has surely given us, surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Um, finally, strong faith is clear. She hung the cord out the window. And yes, I know it was hidden from the city members. I mean, they were already done for, you know. They had a chance. They heard the story about the God of heaven and earth who parts the Red Sea. And their decision was, let's kill these spies and kill these people. Let's get rid of them. We hate them. Let's not convert. Rahab converts and says, I want in. I want in. I mean, that's my best explanation here. But Rahab says, I want my family to be part of this. I'm hanging the scarlet cord. And she wants to be clear to the Israelites about her faith. This is who I am. Clarity. So the last thing I want to say to you this morning is um, we're doing baptisms next week and we're going to do them also at the end of July and the end of August. Baptism is basically you coming out and saying, I'm a Christian. I want to publicly identify with Jesus. I'm going in the water, all right? If that's your desire to do that, and by the way, we are commanded to be baptized by Christ. We follow in His footsteps. If that's your heart and you want to be clear about your faith to the whole world, at least the whole area here that's around, um, we invite you to get baptized. If you'd like to do that, we're having a class afterwards. I believe Mel's going to be sharing on this side. Uh, the baptism class will be on this side. We'll talk about the meaning of baptism. And uh, if you want to be baptized, I'll have you share your testimony as well at that time. I just want to hear about your faith in Christ. So um, if that's on your heart and you want to obey Christ by following Him, by going into the waters of baptism, again, symbolizing his death by going under the water and his resurrection by coming up. If you want to say that, I'm in. Um, please consider that and stay afterwards. Or come next month because we're going to do it again next month and the month after. So, um, My last word for those of you that um, are at this church this morning and do not believe in Jesus. You've come in checking things out. You don't know what you think about this and, and you're weighing it. In Matthew chapter 1, Rahab shows up. 
and uh, Rahab is in Jesus' genealogy, okay? She's in Jesus' genealogy. So um, what we're saying is a prostitute shows up in the line of the Messiah. So maybe you're here, and you've always told yourself, I'm not one of those church people. I don't dress as well as them. I don't look like them. I don't act like them. I don't know if I want to be them. Well, guess what? God doesn't want you to be them either. He wants to be you, a child of God. (laughs) He wants you, with all of your junk and all of your sin, to come to Him and say, I want in. I want forgiveness. I want salvation. If that's you, I want to invite you to respond today. Would everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? Um.